Hello and welcome to episode 382 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fan's weekly podcast of many topics. And today's topic is school because uh right now in end of august beginning of september a lot of students are going back to school and we have thoughts on that but uh before we go into show and tell let's introduce the rest of the class starting with jonathan logan that's edutainment baby and nikki fakuri hello and jimmy turner howdy jimmy nikki jono uh Edutainment games or um, educational uh, games have been part of curriculums all over the world at least since the 80s, probably the 70s, but as a child born in the 80s who uh, mostly had his education in the 90s, I have a, a sort of a very specific era and kind of game that I view as edutainment or educational games. And it's not um, it's not a topic that we talk about much on RPG Fan because rarely are these RPGs if ever, but I think because it's foundational to so many uh, uh, players of video games, including the four of us, of course, that it's definitely worth an episode of a podcast to talk about, and there's no better time to talk about it than uh, than the start of the school year, and we have both educators and, pa- and parents in the uh, panel here with me, so I think that we have a, a, a near ideal group to discuss it, to discuss that topic. So does anyone want to go first? Uh, uh, talk a little bit about your personal background um, playing video games at school or related to school. Sure. Um, okay, I'm. I mean, I was born in '84, so I was in elementary school uh, in the very early '90s. And back in those days, uh, there wasn't. We had there was a computer lab, and there was one. It was very much like a gym class or a music class. Like you, you'd leave your classroom and you'd go to the other room. And you'd have like one period of like a half hour to 45 minutes of just sitting in this room. And it was just full of like 20 computers that the school got discount from somebody. And the teacher knew nothing about computers at all. So the entire class would just be like, there would be a couple of edutainment games installed on this system. So it'd be like super solvers games or something like that. And you just sit there and you play a game for like a half hour. That's vaguely educational. And then you'd leave. And then that kind of, that was it. Um, Now for me, there was a after-school program called Future Kids uh, that they opened up in the strip mall near my my house. And that's where I would, that's that's where I really got a passion for, not video games, but for computers. Um, And they were, it was just, it was a, it was taught by people who actually knew computers. Uh, And it wasn't just edutainment games there. It was also, uh, you know, programming and things like that. But yeah, that's my background with computer education, which was very limited back when I was a kid. Excellent. Well, um, I, I guess I could go next. Um, I'm uh, similar in age to you, Jono. I was born in 86. So, and like I said, my elementary school years was, were basically the entire 90s. And I think it depended on which class and school I was attending at the time, because I, I did change schools a, a couple times in one neighborhood. Like the, there was a separate school for kindergarten to third and then and then fourth or six and then i moved once like situ- situations like that but um sometimes there was a computer lab where we would have de- dedicated computer time there was there was even a typing uh, a, a learn how to type class that uh i took for at least one year in elementary school maybe, maybe more than one year but mostly um the computer games were sort of a reward i remember for being able to uh, uh, finish work on time and and there were computer lab would be withheld if you misbehaved and I remember one class in particular 
there uh, it did, there was not a separate computer lab. There was a row of maybe eight or so computers at one side of the of the very large classroom, and people that finished their work and, and had it checked. Uh, you were allowed to read at your desk or use one of the computers. So sometimes there were mostly boys and mostly including me, uh, a sprint to be able to claim one of the computers before it was claimed by someone else. And they had a lot of the games you mentioned. Um, Super Solvers, Midnight Rescue was an old favorite of mine. Midnight Rescue is so cool. Uh, yeah, that, I, I thought about uh, talking about that one in greater detail today, but uh, went with something else. Um, uh, Math Blaster, Word Munchers and Number Munchers. Um, lemonade stand, which somehow taught me supply and demand economics when I was uh, <laughs> when I when my age was in the single digits. Uh, uh, basically, a lot of these mostly DOS uh, ed- edutainment games. I think have sort of found foundational, and I had some at home as well on my on my family's computer. But uh, and I, I don't think these games taught me a ton of things, but they but but there was educational to- uh content in there or like super solvers is basically a re- a reading comprehension and logic puzzle game um and and uh this is maybe a theme I'll keep revisiting but even though I probably didn't learn a lot from these games specifically I think they got me excited about learning and things like math and words and geography uh in in a mm-hmm. way that a regular classroom lesson didn't uh and and uh, and I'm sure that uh uh like v- video games in the classroom is much different today than it was when I uh, when I was in grade school thirty years ago. But uh, uh, Nikki or Jimmy, what, what is your individual experience with uh, edutainment in the classroom? Well, my age is right between the two of you. I was born in eighty five, um, so it's pretty similar. Um, I went to public school, um, but it was I was in a low um, low income neighborhood when I was a kid. So not a lot of funding in the schools I went to. So we never had a computer lab. Um, I don't remember seeing an in classroom computer until maybe second grade. Um, so maybe around like 92. Um, I don't know where they got them, but we all the classrooms ended up with like two Apple twos um, in the classroom. So they were probably hand-me-downs, um, I'm imagining. But that's where I was first introduced Um to some of these education um, games. Um, not a lot, really. Um, but I feel like of all the kids in my class, um, me and maybe a small group of my friends were the ones that really um, took to it because we were um, already like home console gamers. Um, and I don't think that was very popular amongst the school I went to. So we had quite a fun time. Um, you know, playing these games together. Um, I don't know how much of the educational value we got out of it, um, like you said. But, yeah, it's definitely different now because now I've got four kids in school and they are on com- – they've been in computer lab, on computers, especially the younger ones, um, since day one that school started this year. Um, I, I have no doubt about that. And if, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what are the ages of your four kids? Uh, seven, eight, uh, 14, and 15. Sorry, I had to think for a minute because birthdays. <laughs> no, 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 I, I, I get it. But, um, but, but, so yeah, you probably, I, I'm sure from your observation, the, uh, the sort of the technology used by your 14 and 15 year old is different from uh, your seventh, your sorry, your seven and eight year olds when they were uh, in the same grades. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, I feel like the little ones use computers so much. Like when I was a kid, it was an awesome privilege to be able to 
use the computer at school and play these games and the little ones come home now and they complain. Uh, it's just, <laughs> I don't want to do the computer at school. I don't want to play geo go or whatever it is that they're playing today. I mean, I'm surprised that the concept of computer lab even still exists in elementary schools or high schools today. It just seems like the concept of a computer is now so universal that that's just kind of a part of school. I would imagine. Yeah. My older kids, they all get their own Chromebooks. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the schools I teach in the elementary schools I teach in that have a computer lab, it's in addition to each classroom having their own collection of computers, but the computer lab for them is specifically to teach them like kind of ways to use a computer, like effectively like, hey, I heard you guys are doing research in your English class. Let's find out how to, you know, look for good sources on the internet and what sources aren't so great, but also like very specific, like they have programming games to teach these little children how to like code. So that's pretty neat. Um, I'm suddenly jealous of like small children. Yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I've noticed that it's like, this isn't Fortnite, so I don't want to do it, but it's like, but it's pretty cool what they get to do, even if they don't realize it. But that's how kids always are. You know, that's tale as old as time. It's just this time it's with computers and not like books. I don't want to mm-hmm. read The Giver. I want to read Animorphs, you know, like, hey, you know, both of those are good. And then, you know, when I was elementary school age, I was probably more excited about Mega Man than Lemonade Stand. But that doesn't still mean I, I have a very specific uh, memory of Lemonade Stand that was somewhat formative to my feelings on games and, and school. But, and, and that's what we're here today uh, to talk about sort of games and school and their intersection. Um, and, and it wouldn't be an elementary school without show and tell. And, and I, and I, I've, I've used this metaphor before. I think when a retro encounter does episodes often where everyone on the panel brings something to share with the rest of the panel. And so we're doing a show and tell episode for our edutainment episode where each of us suggested one edutainment or at least education adjacent game. Uh, well, all four panelists tried each of these four games for at least a little bit. So we would have, you know, some idea for how the game feels, even if we didn't um, dedicate a lot of time to other people's selections. So we have four classic edutainment games here, uh, all dated from the 80s through the uh, mid 80s through the mid 90s, because that's just the ages that we are. And um, uh, who, who wants to go first? Who's ready to who wants to go first and show and tell? All right, I'll go first. <laughs> this is just like school. Yeah, no, everyone's a little shy on the first day of school and, is, and isn't sure, you know, wh- Raise what your the, hands. Y- y- they aren't sure exactly they all what look the sort away of uh, from vibe the is teacher. yet. They just like kind of shift their eyes away. Don't make eye contact. They won't call on you. Mr. Nope. Solosi, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> you don't have to tell me. You can just go. Oh, you but, were that kind of teacher. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Uh, it's probably it's probably for the best that I'm not act- an, an actual teacher. <laughs> I would I like I, I I believe in my ability to design a lesson and give a lecture, but do not believe in my ability to control a classroom of uh, of of children. 
Okay, today's lesson is why Kingdom Hearts sucks. <laughs> That's more of a like a college level course than like pre-K through 12, I'd say. I would I would resort to just showing movies in the class remarkably quickly, but then the movies would probably reflect very poorly on me because I, I think probably around John Wick chapter three, I would get some letters from parents. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, the game that I uh, decided to bring to the class is related to crime in a way like John Wick, but it's considerably less violent. Um, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego was a uh, an early gaming obsession of mine. Again, I was born in 86, so I was playing uh, the uh, the 1985 and I think maybe the, the early 90s remakes of uh, Carmen Sandiego. Um, around the time I was watching the PBS, uh, the, the PBS series that uh, I, I don't think we had them in school, but uh, that, that PBS game show and the video game got me uh, interested in geography very early and geography was probably my favorite regular classroom class you know you know discounting things like recess or gym um for a, a, a large part of my youth uh and it's probably easiest to find the uh the the the, the 80s versions but i remember the 96 uh where new where in the world with the, with that was fully voiced and the 1998 where in time is carmen san diego that was more focused on logic puzzles than geography um that uh, I really, really uh, uh, think of those two games very highly. It's really kind of difficult to find those 96 to 98 games. There's, there's also a Where in the USA is Carmen Sandiego from around that same time that I never played. I think played. my favorite is Where in North Dakota is Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> there's enough places in North Dakota to, to have a game set around them? Apparently. <laughs> oh, Who knew boy. Carmen Sandiego has an affinity for North Dakota? Wow. Yeah, uh, the, the game is so, is so stylish you know it's a they're they're framing it like you're a uh, that, that you're a detective usually starting at gumshoe and and um the the crimes at Carmen San Diego are completely preposterous like stealing all of colonial Williamsburg or the Arc de Triomphe or uh, uh or Murasaki Shikibu's first copy of the tale of Genji all of which are actual scenarios from the game games I remember and and you having to sort of um globe hop and uh and use like geography facts and um some basic uh like appearance based puzzles like oh uh like like oh this witness said the suspect had red hair this witness said the suspect had a scar go through the dossier to see which um suspects have scars and red hair kind of uh those two sort of um systems working in parallel to catch the culprit and the uh, there was more edu education and and sort of more back end learning about the sites you visited in the in those '90s versions that I mentioned. But uh, generally, the, uh, the those original games were mostly geography facts and some light logic puzzles. But the coolest part was running around and ca and sort of being a crime fighter because Carmen Sandiego, technically the antagonist, but everyone's kind of rooting for her. Yeah, she is a bad bitch. Yeah, absolutely. She is. And it, it, it's not an accident that the Netflix cartoon of uh, Carmen Sandiego from a couple of years ago makes her the protagonist and not the antagonist anymore. It's the hat. Oh, yeah. She is just the she's just incredibly super stylish. And uh, why wouldn't you want her to win? She's stylish and mysterious and is somehow 
definitely your opponent, but but does not feel outright evil ever. She's just sort of cooler than you. <laughs> yeah, there's so much glamour to her. And and, and and again, like this game is, I don't think this game is necessarily trying to teach you geography. It's it's just a fun game about geography that got me at least as as at a certain age excited to look at maps and learn about places. I, I, again, I'm not sure how much Carmen Sandiego actually taught me, but it definitely got me interested in learning more, which is, uh, again, a, a theme I think we'll be revisiting often in this episode. The version I'm most familiar with was the 92 remake. I think that was the one that was installed on the computers in my computer lab. But for this, I went back and I played the uh, the original, the 85 original. And uh, my first response when I loaded up was like, what the, what the heck is this music? Why am I not hearing acapella? Because, I mean, that the, the theme song from the game show is everything to Carmen Sandiego. It, it, it's iconic. Um, the, the 96 version does have... Uh, 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 video sequences of the chief from yeah, the game the show. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, but, but not, uh, the, but not the host or, or Rockapella, unfortunately. See, I think that this game actually teaches more than, uh, I thought it was like original, my memory of it is it's teaching, uh, geography facts that I don't know. And I get lost and I'm like, how am I supposed to know which country has a red and blue flag? Um, mm-hmm. but in, in playing at this time, it's teaching deductive reasoning. So it's teaching you how to uh, narrow things down uh, because you keep getting clues about the identities of the various thieves. Uh, so you learn deductive reasoning. It does teach you some geography uh, in terms of like flying places and, and where to where to go. Um, the funny thing about the 85 version is so much of the material now is ridiculously out of date that I, I was getting questions wrong. And I was like, that's, oh, right. No, that's like... 35 40 years ago yeah Czechoslovakia is not a place anymore um but the but but even it just teaches you a, a little bit of where things are on the map because when you mm-hmm. fly to Czechoslovakia you there's there you have to watch the animation of the plane going to Czechoslovakia and like like a, a lot of students nowadays probably can't identify most of the countries uh in, in an area where they don't live and so that that was you know that 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 probably taught me a little bit that I don't necessarily remember 30 years ago. Yeah. And I mean, there were elements of adventure gaming sort of things in there. And I, I think my favorite, I didn't even realize this as I was writing, as I was playing it after I would solve a case and they would ask me a really specific geography question. And I would be like, what the, huh? And then I, I discovered that was copy protection because the game came with a book, uh, right. the World Almanac. And you had to, in order to get promoted at the end of the case, you needed to answer a question from the World Almanac to prove that you knew that you bought the copy of the game, which I just think is really funny. I, I just knew the answer the, the the time that they, they showed that to me. But uh, yeah, yeah, there were, that is an early form of copy protection that you see in, in not just, not just Carmen Sandiego. That, that was uh, quite uh, common to have some kind of clue or password in the manual to try to mitigate piracy. Uh, uh, Jimmy, did you play any of the Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego games back in the day? Oh, yeah. I believe I also played the 92 version was the one that I'm most familiar with. But, yeah, I um, also am a huge fan of the show, especially before I got cable as a kid. So PBS was like my go-to for any kids programming, and that was must-see TV every day. 
Yeah, my, my parents, I think we did have cable, but my parents were very careful about what shows I watched, and they always let me watch PBS stuff. And and I think my dream of wanting to be on Where in the World is Carmen San Diego eventually evolved into a dream of wanting to be on Jeopardy. So it's uh, you know, it's influenced me in more ways than in more ways than one, I guess. But yeah, but yeah, I I remember playing the 85 one in in elementary school a little bit because they were it was it was an old game on hand-me-down computers. Uh, but at home, I played the, uh, the the 96, 98 versions of Where in the World and Where in Time and, and, and view those games really highly, even though there isn't really a good way to find those uh, either of them anymore. Um, but uh, I think that's enough uh, Carmen Sandiego discussion. Uh, no, I know uh, why you're trying to go? to go past this super quickly. I'm going to I know oh? why. I know why. Why? Because in the SNES one, all I don't know if this is the case <laughs> for the PC ones, but in the SNES one, which is the one I played the dossiers all talk about food that each of these uh, villainous people like. And most of them, including Miss San Diego herself, like tacos. So if I learned anything from this game, it's not about geography or the color of countries' flags or the languages that they speak in those countries. It's that villains most likely like tacos. How so dare if you, you meet someone who likes tacos, we may How know someone like you. that in here. I'm just saying maybe they work for Miss San vile? Diego herself. She likes tacos too. I'm just saying she's going out in her convertible, her ruby necklace, her badass hat, and she's going to Taco Bell to steal the entire Taco Bell. That's all I'm saying. Keep an eye out. Okay. I will not disagree, except the, for the fact that Carmen Sandiego has a pearl necklace and not a ruby in, necklace. No, in, because, in the in the SNES one, uh, it's a ruby in necklace. The PC, in the PC one, when you, the final boss is, there's a whole room of Carmen Sandiego's and you have to capture the one that's wearing the, pearls ne the pearl necklace. You see, this is how she gets you because she's actually uh. cloned herself. <laughs> this is the deep lore. This is uh, the Carmen Sandiego lore I was not expecting to visit in this podcast. I but mean, it's true. She hasn't aged since 1985. There you go. Think about I, it. I would, I would love to know her skin routine and if it involves tacos or not. Probably. Now, now, Nikki, mm -hmm. um, we know Carmen Sandiego likes tacos. But who likes pizza? Pizza. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Oh, man. You know what, Solosi? I missed your transitions because that was nice. That, that was, was a good segue. That was a beautiful segue. Uh, Nikki, when you suggested this game for the episode, I jumped in my chair because I loved this game when I was, uh, I don't know, or maybe in the 10 to 12 year old range because this is one of my favorite 90s edutainment games. Please educate us on the logical journey of the Zumbinis. So the Zumbinis were living just a happy life. They they were prosperous. They were peaceful. And then the Glucks showed up. And they said, you know what? We can help make your economy boom. And the Zumbinis, being these kind souls that they are, were like, okay, we'll enter into an agreement with you. But then what happened was the Glucks betrayed them. And they basically uh, got them into indentured servitude and tortured them and it was just awful so what happened was the zumbinis decide enough is enough so they all uh get onto a boat to escape to an anywhere anywhere away from the glucks and what happens 
you make your little zoom beanies. The boat can only hold so many at a time, I think like 16 or so at a time. And they make their way to this island. And what else would be on an island but logic puzzles? And so in order to get the Zumbinis from the coast of this island to their new little village, at the end, they have to go through some pretty tough logical puzzles. But once you get them through, they can start anew in Zumbiniville. And then you just repeat the process and you want to get all 400 zoom beanies over or else they'll be tortured by the glucks. So don't stop until you save them all, kids. A, a couple notes. Um, I think it depends on what version of the game you're playing, because uh, uh, the original was 96. There was a, a revision in 2001 and then a full remake that, that is on Steam today in 2015. Um, uh, the version I played, the villains were called the Bloats instead of the Glucks. You know, maybe they're called the Bloats and I just can't remember. I think you're right. I, I think they changed names between some versions. But uh, but but also, when I played this as a kid... Um, there, there are some puzzles where uh, you, you maybe can't get all 16 of your Zumbinis across. Like uh, maybe you make too many mistakes at the bridge and you only get 10 and, you, and six have to stay behind. Like situations like that. Um, I, I think it depends on how many Zumbinis are in Zumbiniville. But uh, the difficulty increases periodically and the puzzles get much more challenging. And I couldn't get all 400 at the end. Um I got somewhere in the 300s because a few of the puzzles uh, when, you, when you reach the highest difficulty are just diabolical. But, uh, the, but the puzzles are fun and, um, and, and teach you like things like pattern recognition and, uh, and deductive reasoning um, and, and, and other sort of logic puzzle adjacent skills. But uh, the, the, the personality of this game with the cute little blue zoom, zoom beanies with, uh, with, uh, with, with face and hair that the player customizes and the spirit of that narrator and, and the way he says Zumbiniville is a, an amazing reward every time you complete a round of the game. Hip hip. Zumbini. Hip hip. Zumbini. Oh man, that, that game was a delight to revisit. I, uh, I didn't get to finish it, um, even a single round of it, because the version I had kept crashing um around the midpoint of the game I, I think it i think it crashed at the at the lily pad puzzle twice that's its um, own logic puzzle within itself did you know that this game has branching paths so it's like it an does. rpg it's like it's like castlevania 3 or saga 2 jano's favorite game yes i'm glad that we've somehow tied this into the relevance of rpgs but but yeah, I th I think there's twelve puzzles, um, but you you only do nine of them in one run because there's a path in the middle that you have to sort of choose uh, uh, which um, which round of puzzles you get. But uh, all of them from the uh, from the very rude boulders that uh, keep knocking you down the stairs to the uh, the weird troll that loves pizza, um, the, uh, the the fleens that you have to. I, I that I the first time I played it this time around, I forgot that you had to try to get them off the the branch with the bees on it. So I was I, I lost multiple Zumbinis that day. <laughs> That's what I love about the game. They don't tell you how to do the puzzles. They just throw you in there and say, figure it out. And that's part of it. If, if you click the uh, 
the question mark icon, they give you a hint. But but still, there is uh, this is the Dark Souls of edutainment games of the nineties. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to. They throw you in, and you have to just figure it out. I remember when I did it, I uh, played the remake on Steam Deck, and it's the exact same game except the graphics are redone. And when I clicked the question mark, the only hint that came up was don't be afraid to make mistakes. If any of your Zumbinis can't make it across, they'll be waiting for you at the uh, at the campfire that you just passed yeah. by. It's like, thanks for the hint. At least I know my Zumbinis <laughs> won't die. I mean, that's fair. That's fairly valuable that, you know, the Zumbinis that you fail don't end up back in slavery. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think if you fail in the first couple puzzles, they, they're waiting at the ship. And if you fail in the second half of puzzles, they go back to the campfire. And and, and uh, you even can store and sort the Zumbinis in this weird uh, this weird shelf. So you can, like, it, if you really want a metagame logical journey of the Zumbinis, you can try and take Zumbinis that have a few specific common traits to make the puzzles easier. But I, I didn't do that. I, I, just, I just clicked random a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did too. Mm. Interestingly, I'm looking at the front box art of the original game right now, and it says builds advanced math thinking skills. This isn't a math game. This is a logic game. This 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 game builds, in my opinion, this game builds uh, logical thinking, um, not, you know, math. Yeah, I would say logical thinking, pattern recognition. Observation. It, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, observation. It, it's... But but it, the the package is so charming that this might be just one of the most moment to moment fun games on the whole list. I, I I wanted to play more Zumbinis and was personally slightly frustrated that the cheap free version I found kept crashing and I and I looked hard at that Steam remake. Huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I may I I will I wish listed it, but it's uh but I didn't quite pull the trigger yet. Basically, it's kind of like the game is kind of like what if Lemmings weren't idiots. Yeah. What if lemmings had like fewer dark implications? Because I don't, I don't think those lemmings go back to the beginning island with if they uh, if they don't make it across. <laughs> no, they do not. Um, it's a it's a fascinating game. This is a game I completely missed. I never played this when I was a kid. I uh, I loaded her up and I really was having some fun with it. Uh, interesting concept, interesting world. It has a story behind it, which a lot of edutainment games don't. Um, there's actual stakes there that that matter. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities. Let's see. I, I was looking at this earlier. There are apparently 1,250 possible Zubinis in total uh, based on the combinations that you can uh, put together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hair, eyes, nose, and feet. Yeah, and, 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 and I, th I, think it's, I think it's either, it's either uh, four or five options between each of those. Yeah, there's five options each and you can have twins. Oh, okay. Oh, that changes everything. Okay, that makes sense. So, so, so it's five to the fourth power times two. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I, I think the game is, it's great. Again, I, I found a version of the original one and I played it and uh, I was enjoying myself. The game has so much personality. It's ridiculous. Also, uh, that narrator, is... that give that narrator a damn Tony award or something. <laughs> also, this is the uh, second game that we're talking about to get today from a uh, certain developer. Uh, that was synonymous with edutainment games of the uh, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... Yeah, Broderbund was basically yeah. uh, like edutainment games and Prince of Persia, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, they uh, they released a lot of games. They didn't last a tremendous length of time, but they certainly made their mark on the uh, industry. I think right after the 1998 wherein time is Carmen San Diego, they were folded into another company, which is why there wasn't really much start Carmen San Diego after that after 1998. Um, yeah, they were acquired by the Learning Company. Oh, which, that, that's of who course, it was. Yeah, became, of course, of course, it was them. But uh, but you know, no, yeah, they were a titan of that specific time and genre. Whoa, sorry, I, slowly. They this keep in mind. This was in 1998. They were acquired for 420 million dollars in stock. Wow, that's a that's a big buyout. Blaze it, yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. Now speaking of blazing, um, let's talk a little bit about trailblazing, uh, uh, Jimmy. You you probably have, uh, with apologies to the other three of us, the, I would say the most iconic edutainment game of the four that we chose. This is the game that I think for people of a certain age, including me, was the game synonymous with uh, your, those hand-me-down DOS computers at your elementary school. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Oregon Trail? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this was... My recollection was the only game we had at the beginning when we got the computers. Um, it seemed like for years, but all that um, is kind of jumbled together now thinking back on it. But um, so, yeah, Oregon Trail, um, I originally played the Apple II version, which actually originally came out all the way back in 85, the year I was born. Um, and then the DOS version um, came out in 90. And so I played both versions of that, but essentially they're the same game, just with little updated graphics. And, um, but it's a history-based game where um, you start off in Independence, Missouri, uh, and you are gathering a party to journey west along the Oregon Trail, and the goal is to make it to Oregon safely without dying. And boy, can that be a challenge, even replaying it today um i thought um you know sometimes when you go back to games from your childhood you're like how did i play these they're so much harder than i remember mm. um i kind of had a, a similar experience um going back and playing oregon trail again um but i still love it the nostalgia it gives me um just all the memories i had of playing with the other kids in the class um really i think it's probably maybe a basis for why I liked um, like RPGs later on, because um, we would play these games together and almost like we're, you know, working together and almost role-playing in a way. Um, you know, you pick what your profession is, you're naming every member of your party um, and you're trying to, you know, there's survival elements to it. Um, you have to hunt for your food. You have a budget, uh, depending on that's really where the difficulty settings are is essentially picking your profession. You can be either a banker, a carpenter or a farmer. And depending on which of those professions you chose is how much money you get. Um, and then yeah, it is basically the difficulty setting because because this, this yep. is a game of resource management and and banker starts with the most money and farmer starts with the least money. So that's it, like a. Uh, uh, that's the difficulty that you choose at the beginning. I, I went with Carpenter for the uh, two or three runs that I did because I, I, I felt like, well, I'm, I'm probably a little bit better at strategic video games now than when I was, say, six. So uh, I, I, I thought Carpenter seemed about right. Yeah. 
And uh, the the other thing that I remembered so fondly is the in-game leaderboard uh, <laughs> that you could see, you know, the all the other kids in either your class or classes that have come before you even um, that you can see, you know, how many points they accumulated, which points are also um, dependent on your difficulty setting, I guess, um, you know, what profession you chose. Um, there's a multiplier involved and, you know, how many people in your party make it all the way to Oregon, which uh, I definitely remember getting my name on that leaderboard back in grade school. And, you know, that being a pretty awesome achievement. I, I don't remember if I ever finished a game of Oregon Trail when I was in grade school. I, I did many years later when I was uh, I was probably a teenager or maybe even in my 20s. Uh, I found a version of Oregon Trail and decided, you know what, I should try to actually beat this game for once. And, and I had Amazon Trail at home, which was a much more involved game. We had to go into the jungle and identify animals and stuff, but, but, but also was basically a resource management style game. Um, uh, that, that was, uh, some years after Oregon trail and I, and I, uh, uh, I, I loved Amazon trail. I, I, I made the mistake of, uh, of naming my, uh, characters in, in my, in my wagon after my childhood dogs. And that, oh, just, no. that, that just means I got to saw them, see them die a second time. So that's, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's that, 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 that was, that was a mistake on my part, but I, I, I did. Okay. I think I, um, I uh, got to Blue Mountains the first round and then the second and then for my second attempt, I started I, re I reduced my rations earlier and spent more and uh, and 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 made better choices for when to rest and, and did get to Willamette Valley uh, at, at, uh, on my second attempt. And and and, and basically this is it's, it's a resource management management game that has a lot of options like the little hunting mini game and uh, and some and some choice based gameplay that it was. I mean, so ahead of its time for 1985. I'm not sure if it's time for the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was it was originally designed in 1975, but it's it's sort of wide release was that Apple II version in '85. Um, yeah. So so it's extremely unlikely that anyone our age would would play a a, a version older than the <laughs> Apple II version. Um, but I, I don't know how educational this game is necessarily if anything it teaches you that uh that um living in the 1800s was suffering <laughs> yes it was <laughs> and, and, i mean we, i was talking about i was talking about stakes with uh, in the last game but uh the stakes and none of my zubinis died of dysentery let's put it that way i i had uh oh man i i saw my childhood dogs die of cholera and exhaustion yeah, I uh, I took a screenshot of this when it happened to me because I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, the wagon tipped over while floating. You lose three sets of clothing, two wagon wheels, one wagon axle, 565 pounds of food and Blairy drowned. That, you so lose, much food. You lose your guy. You lose him. He's gone. Lost in the river. See ya. God, is it sad that I was more shocked at the amount of food you lost than that you lost a, a settler? Man, I was upset too, but poor Blairy. He didn't do anything to deserve this. <sighs> I, on my run, I had the worst luck with my frigging oxen. I, I initially bought, I, I did a terrible job of resource management. I bought like five oxen and uh, right off the top. And within the first like three days, 
I got robbed and they stole four of my oxen. Oh so no. It was just it was super slow going to the next to the next stop. And right at the next stop I realized, okay, I'm going way too slow. I gotta buy two more oxen. I'm not kidding. The next night someone stole my other my new two oxen. And then my one oxen broke its it got sick or injured or something like that. At that point I was like, okay, we're starting over because this, this is this is this the worst is dead. This is the worst roguelike I've ever heard. I, uh, it I, is a roguelike. I, I, it was a roguelike. I, I had There's a our connection lot of, to RPG fan. I, I had so many food problems on my first run, and and the further that you get, the more expensive supplies get um, deeper in the trail, which, which is a, uh, a a pretty smartly designed difficulty curve, I would think. But mm. the um, uh, again, it's basically a strategic roguelike that is couched in um, American history a little bit. Uh, but but I, I think that the most memorable thought. Uh, th- things that many people take away from the game is, is practically became a meme that John died of dysentery. So, uh, like, like again, this just teaches you the past sucks. You should be happy that you get to play this video game instead of live this experience. Uh, yes, and I am every time I play it. Um, this is a game that has had quite a life after uh, as well. Uh, like, there's an Apple Arcade version of it now that I downloaded after I played the original, just because I was curious. Um, and it's it's pretty good. It, it's very true to the original, um, but it does one of the things it does is it incorporates uh, more modern history. It eliminates a lot of the uh, offensive portrayals of Native Americans in it, um, and it offers new paths, some more choices. But it's still pretty pretty true to the original. Uh, I was uh, I was enjoying it quite a bit. Um, so it, this is available in a more modern form if you want to subject your kids to. Uh, having their settlers die in horrible ways on their journey west. But, but I should ask. I mean, uh, uh, um, what what did that people name their settlers, uh, or, or or what convention did you use to name your settlers? Since I picked Banker, I named him Banker, and then like Bob and Blairy, and like some other weird name that started with a B, but wasn't like a wasn't a real name. So an alliterative banker family. Yeah. Uh, I did about three runs of the game. I was not successful in any of them. The one that was probably most appropriate for this particular audience is I named my party. Uh, uh, I named I named my, I call them party because that's what I think in RPGs. I named them the main characters of Final Fantasy IV. So Cecil, Rosa, uh, Rydia, Kane, Edge. Going all the way back to grade school, I've always named my party the names of professional wrestlers that I like. So, uh. nice, <laughs> oh no, nice. did Mister did Mister Perfect die of dysentery? Not this time. He's perfect. <laughs> he can't. He can't die. Oh, uh, R.I.P. Um, uh, Paul Hennig. Um, but Kurt Kurt Hennig. Kurt Sorry. Hennig. I'm, I'm oh, I, I thought his. I thought his. I thought his son was Kurt. No, no, no. His son. Okay, his son was Curtis Axel, who named it right. My, my bad. My bad. Yeah. Um. But the uh, my, my, I need to play the new WrestleQuest game to make sure that my wrestling knowledge is uh, doesn't rust away. Uh, but if I, I'm curious I, about that. You should listen to last week's random encounter. <laughs> oh, maybe I did. Um, <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I named uh, the main character. I made, named my, my party wagon leader Michael, and then the other four after uh, uh, my uh, some dogs I knew from childhood: uh, Godiva, Rosie, Lily, and Theo. Uh, um, everyone. Everyone died my first attempt, and uh, the only uh, person that passed away on the second attempt was Lily, R.I.P. Uh, she, she was a very, uh, very sassy black Labrador from many years ago. But, uh, y- you know, I mean, I had my uh, my 
childhood dogs and uh, when my growing up with my nuclear family. But what's it like raising a family in a brand new city from scratch? With a nuclear power plant? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it can be very challenging. So SimCity 2000 um, is my choice for my edutainment game. Uh, my first exposure to SimCity came from the Super Nintendo because SimCity for SNES was a launch title. Um, and as it was one of the only titles available for rent uh, at Abercrombie Video, that was something that I played a lot of. Um, and I loved SimCity. It was one of my favorite games for the Super Nintendo. And actually, uh, looking at this, it sold... How many copies did it sell? It sold... It only sold 300,000 copies on PC, but it sold 2 million copies on the Super Nintendo. So it was very popular in Japan. Um, there's even yeah. uh, SimCity 2000 characters in Smash Brothers. Yeah, Will Wright, uh, Will Wright designed SimCity. And then, of course, because of its success and all the other Sim games were not doing that well, they decided to do a sequel. So they did SimCity 2000 and it changed the perspective from directly overhead to a little bit of isometric view. Um, and it was released on PC and they, they made it a little bit more futuristic. Like you started, you kind of you kind of started like mid 20th century and then you could get some future stuff like uh, various uh, new future technologies for power plants uh, over time. Now, I, some people would argue that SimCity 2000, it's, it's a sim, it's not an edutainment game. And I disagree whole, I, I disagree solidly because the thing about SimCity 2000 and SimCity in general is that the games teach things that aren't really taught in schools, which is basic urban development, urban management, resource management again. But like I learned more about how an actual urban space runs from the SimCity games than I was ever taught in elementary or high school. Uh, it gave me an appreciation for the delicate balance that comes with having to run a city, like everything from your electricity to your underground, to your pipes, to just basic zoning to make sure that you know your your residential and your industrial zones aren't too close together uh, i think this game taught an awful lot uh to its players without them even realizing it and i think that's the that's the secret to a good edutainment game you gotta you gotta sneak in those lessons so the people so the kids playing it don't actually realize they're they're learning things um and ignore, ignoring all of that SimCity 2000 is just a it's a damn good sim it's a damn good sim I was taken aback by just how clunky it felt uh, going back to it because I haven't played it for many, many years. Um, but it's it, it was still fun. And I, I had fun building up my little city for like about an hour or so. And uh, one thing I think is worth mentioning is that by far, this is the most free form open ended game on our list here. Oregon Trail, Zumbinis and Carmen Sandiego are all fairly structured games. But uh, SimCity 2000, I mean, there are specific scenarios that you can load in. Like uh, and and especially if you want to, if, if you want a more pre-built city or you want a particularly challenging uh, uh setup, but mostly you're just dropped into a uh, into an empty field and you just need to start building. Mm -hmm. And um and and Jimmy, maybe uh, you're in a better position to comment on this than the others of us because you um you have uh, kids who are school age. But I think probably one of the most prominent edu educational games or games used in schools nowadays is Minecraft, which uh, I'm sure at least one of your kids is has a close relationship with Minecraft. Am I assuming correctly? Uh, you are 100% correct. Yeah. My, young, my youngest one is absolutely obsessed with Minecraft. But yeah, but Minecraft and SimCity 2000 both are 
sort of, I mean, there are rules and things you can do and can't do, but are mostly about the, the total freedom that you have at your disposable at your disposal in a mostly empty, empty starting scenario. And then like both trying to achieve objectives, but also on like expressing yourself creatively in some way. I, I think that, that like SimCity uh, and, and maybe all, maybe 2000 more specifically, like there, I think there is a through line to building a city from an empty field in SimCity to starting with an empty field in Minecraft and just digging and seeing what you can build and discover. I, I, I think that um, like I was a little overwhelmed by SimCity 2000. I just started putting houses and power, power plants down and just to see if I could, you know, like, like uh, have a sustainable neighborhood. And I, I think I sort of did, but I, I didn't, I didn't go too deep into the game. John, I'm sorry. I, I, I actually avoid, um, games that are too open-ended. I, I find them slightly overwhelming. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm not a Minecraft guy for one, but like, like I would almost like compare it to a game with a lot of urban planning, like, like a civilization, which is more my speed, but also a game that's about expression and, and, uh, and creativity, like, like a kid picks or an, or an, or like an art game. It's a toy box. It's, it's, it's a SimCity 2000, a lot of Sim games, Minecraft. There is just, you're given a box full of toys and you can pull them out and play with them however you want. Uh, you can create whatever you want with them. And those toys include uh, little houses and train tracks. Exactly. Oh yeah. If you're, if you're a fan of like models and like doing that kind of thing, SimCity is just a, it's a joy. Um, the most recent version of SimCity was not a joy. Uh, it, coming out in the in the 2010s, it was a, it was hugely disappointing to fans. But um, I think it also illustrated that there are so many fans of these urban planning sort of games that uh, when a game when a City's Skylines came out um, some years ago, it was received so positively that there is definitely um, a fan base and an audience for this kind of game, even in the 2020s. Oh yeah, EA just dropped the ball on SimCity. They screwed it up so bad. I, I don't um, remember exactly when it happened, but I remembered everyone being like derisive and disappointed. Well, it, my memory is, my memory of what happened is SimCity 2000 came out and it was a massive hit uh, and it was it was ported to bloody well everything. Uh, then SimCity 3000 came out a few years later and I actually think SimCity 3000 was the pinnacle of the series. Like it did everything that 2000 did, but better and looked prettier it was a really really good solid game four came out it was yeah whatever it was fine i just preferred playing 3000 but then SimCity, the 2013 version the city size was extremely limited and they had online uh connectivity and multiplayer and you couldn't avoid it you just had to you had to go with this and it was just a a lot of people were very very angry at it a lot of people were angry at it. And then you're right, City Skylines came along not two years later. Uh, and uh, I, who, who published it? Was it Paradox? I think so. Anyway, it came out and it did everything that SimCity did uh, just as well, but updated and added new features. And it, it I mean, City Skylines is essentially SimCity 4, or uh, SimCity, I guess at this point, SimCity 5. It's just kind of what it is. Um, wait, is it 6? How many SimCity games are there? Oh boy, that that's a, a rabbit hole I haven't there gone down. There are one, two, three, four, five. So there are five. So essentially, City Skylines is basically SimCity Six um, in terms of the gameplay, what it does. It's 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 
that's what it is. And EIA, I think they screwed it up so bad that it's dead. SimCity is dead, but you know, it lives on in the newest one. And everything that SimCity 2000 started with urban or teaching you about urban decay and teaching you about just basic city governance is continued into city skylines just on a much more massive scale and much more detailed simulation. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did sort of make the, uh, connection that someone that played SimCity 2000 would develop an interest in architecture or urban planning, but I, but I didn't really think that it also illustrated things like, um, like urban decay and taxation. Uh, this is unrelated, but I, Remember, I first understood how loans and interest worked from playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. Because mm-hmm. you start out with a loan and you can increase the loan, but then your incre- interest increases. And then you try to make enough money to pay off the loan. Like that, I learned more about loans and interest from Roller Coaster Tycoon than I ever did in a, uh, in a grade school classroom. Well, I mean, coming at you, coming from your, actually, Slosi, do you want me to mention your professional career? Uh, sure, that's fine. Okay. Well, Slosi, I mean, coming from your professional career, I mean, SimCity and City Skylines, you know, they also deal with things like water and sewage management and things like that. Yeah, no, I I work for the public works department of where I live, and uh, and I I, I deal with urban planning and and maps of utilities and zoning all the time. So there there's, uh, but 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 truthfully, I, I think my interest in mapping. And because because again I, I use a I use technology called GIS all the time in my job. Mm-hmm. Um, that might I can maybe trace that back down to um, chasing Carmen San Diego around the world. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, where that, in the sewer system is Carmen San Diego? Um, maybe she's in the Paris sewer system as represented in uh, multiple Victor Hugo novels. Or um, she's in the Mushroom Kingdom. That's the next uh, big crossover. Oh my God! If they made a if Carmen San Diego invaded smash brothers or mushroom kingdom or something and we just had we just had a nintendo themed chase carmen san diego around game i would play the bejesus out of that That, that's the crossover that we need actually you know what given the similarities in look and style it's completely possible that carmen san diego went into witness protection and became the mayor of new donk city oh yeah she she took up pauline yeah she looks she took up she took up you know singing singing jazz that that was her that's her pastime i don't know I think Carmen's. I think Pauline in Donkey Kong does predate Carmen San Diego, but what if Carmen San Diego went into hiding, and switched places? You see, here's the lore. It's coming back. Like Carmen San Diego's in custody. A a uh, a, a gumshoe that that thinks she's that thinks there's something fishy goes up. And Carmen says, I keep telling you, my name's not Carmen, it's Pauline. <laughs> uh It's the hat, I tell you. It's the hat. The hat is the the hat's the giveaway. She should have gotten rid of the hat, but she didn't. She loved it too much, and now now everyone knows. Yep. Okay, now That's the hubris. <laughs> if we are proposing a Carmen San Diego game set in New Donk City, then I think we're near the end of the episode. But I uh, I, I do have something I want to ask each of you. Um we, we, we brought four games here to show and tell SimCity 2000, Oregon Trail, Logical Journey of the Zumbinis, and Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. None of these really have a modern sequel that is sort of the modern standard or, uh, or, or, or evolves the formula significantly of the original. Like, like um, that, that Zumbinis remake is from 2015, but it's basically the same game with, with different art. 
But um, if one of these were to get a modern sequel that basically preserved the spirit of the game, but made a few changes, like like what's one change you would like to see in a modern SimCity or Oregon Trail or Zumbinis or Carmen Sandiego? Um, I'll go first. Uh, one thing I loved about the 96 to 98 Carmen Sandiego games are just how much personality the different criminals and and uh, and guides have. The, the, the guides were basically your like your like assistants that would that would help you out in each location. Um, one of them, my my favorite one was the one named Antiquity. Uh, mm-hmm. But like I, I want just a Carmen San Diego game with deeper lore, where you learn more about the criminals and the guides and Carmen herself with each case. And uh, I, I would basically want it the same, like a a globe a a globe trotting adventure with, with ridiculous crimes and and full of puns. Oh my god, I just realized something, Nikki. I'm surprised you haven't realized this. You know what has a lot of DNA in common? Carmen San Diego and Ace Attorney. You're right. There's the crossover right. I want. Oh, There's you're the right. crossover I want. You have like villains with pun names. Okay. What if the new Carmen Sandiego game as the final boss, you have to prosecute and cross-examine her? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, this is a game right. I want. That's the change that I'm making uh, for for my uh, uh, final suggestion here. Um, but uh, Nikki, Jono, or, or Jimmy, uh, do you have a, a suggestion for a modern twist on the game that you presented? Yeah, sure. I mean, the thing about SimCity 2000 is it's been iterated upon multiple times and improved, well, with with the exception of the 2013 version, uh, pretty much every time. Uh, the trick about SimCity or any kind of Sim game is that you're simulating a city and the more technology advances, the more detailed that simulation can get. And it seems like that is continuing into uh, City Skylines 2, which is coming out. Uh, oh, it's coming out later this year. Um, I think that and I know this is a controversial topic in pretty much every industry now, but I feel like AI has quite a bit of potential when it comes to uh, when it comes to a uh, urban simulating game, uh, both for uh, citizen behavior and the irrational ways that people behave. Uh, I think that could be uh, an interesting wrinkle if they really boosted the AI uh, in these games uh, to make them a little bit more challenging, but also to make them a little bit more realistic. And you could, like, I think the difficulty, I feel like the difficulty in a SimCity game, instead of it being, like, hard, super hard, easy, I feel like just turning up or down the irrationality of your citizens would be the difficulty, um, would be the difficulty scale in these games. So I think that would be an interesting take if they they really put a lot into the AI uh, of the citizens. I'm not sure what specific... Um, features that I would improve but I think if you take a game like the Oregon Trail um, which is based on an actual you know time period and event in history um, I think that that could be done in several similar um, scenarios to help teach kids about historical events I mean I've always been a big history guy um, so anything that has to do with history even if it's alternate history um, is kind of like what I lean towards. That's why I like the Assassin's Creed games, despite all their flaws. Um, it's just because of the historical aspect of all those games. Um, There's even faithfully recreated architecture in several of those games. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Right. 
I even like Unity even with all its <laughs> its bugs <laughs> just because I'm fascinated by the French Revolution. Um, so I think there's a I think there could be a market out there um, for other games like the Oregon Trail with similar um, gameplay aspects, but for other you know maybe other areas and time periods. What if instead of the wilderness, you were escaping zombies? Aha. Uh-huh. I just, I, I don't think we mentioned Oregon Trail in the podcast, and that is one of the funnier things that has come up in the last few years. Yeah, that is, I, I love it. <laughs> it yeah. the, the the pun is an absolute 10 out of 10, like worthy of Carmen Sandiego herself. The fact it's like a one-to-one recreation, it's just basically a reskinned Oregon Trail, which I think is really funny. Hey, Jimmy, you're a fan of alternate history? I didn't know that. Do you know uh, the YouTube channel Alternate History Hub? I do. Yes. Yeah. I subscribe. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great channel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, I just love history. It's like my passion. What if they did an Oregon Trail game, but you're a group of Zumbinis fleeing from the bloats? There we go. There we go. That, that'd be quite a reboot. Yeah. The Zumbini Trail. That's right. I mean, you, you got to get to Zumbiniville because, I mean, you need to hear the narrator say it with so much passion. Exactly. Exactly. But, but Nikki, what's your idea for an update or a twist on the Zumbinis? Yeah, this would definitely happen because this is definitely just like Zumbinis, but just a little bit different. Okay. Um, listen, this is a sequel, right? All the Zumbinis are, you know, they're living in Zumbiniville all is well. But then there's a bit of trouble. The elder is starting to behave a bit too much like the bloats. That's not good. Well, one day, one Zumbini decides to take matters into his own feet (laughs) and deals with the Zumbini elder. But, oh no, the Zumbini council can't find out about this. Or this Zumbini is going to have a lot of trouble. So another Zumbini decides, you know what? I'll take the blame for you. They banish him Mm -hmm. from Zumbiniville for 10 or so years. When he comes back, things aren't quite the same. And Zumbiniville is in a lot of crisis. Zumbiniville is in crisis? Zumbini like a dragon. Just think about it for a second. (laughs) Just, just think about it. Oh, that took oh. me so long to get. <laughs> when like, you, when you, cool. when you said exiled for ten years, I, I, I think I figured it out. But wow, it, uh, I, that, that is quite a game. That is, is wow. I'm imagining a, a, a Zumbini dramatically turning around, and there's a tattoo of a cartoon dragon on its back Just oh my god in the character selection you can like pick individual uh one of the one of the traits is an individual tattoo. tattoo yes oh one of them has an eye patch yes oh, oh wow and when when you're trying to get on the ferry they need to have the same animal t- the, uh, tattoo <laughs> um in uh, for consecutive zumbinis yes exactly i mean it actually works really well because you could even work all the mini games into it yeah they could have Zumbini kart racing. Zumbini Gagotoku. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. See, I was thinking, you could, I, the direction I was thinking in that was uh, it has a good setup for a good real-time strategy game. Um, 
but I, I like your take much more. I am shocked that on a podcast with Jono and myself on it, it was neither of us that suggested a Like a Dragon adaptation of one of the of one of the games presented. I was trying to get through one podcast without mentioning Yakuza, and I failed. <laughs> we, we all we, we all failed, but uh, I, th- I think you won this round, Nikki. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, uh, listeners. If uh, any of that sounded interesting to you, um, Oregon Trail set in the in the French Revolution. Um, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego moving to the Law and Order side uh, side of things? Or um, Zumbini Gagotoku, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Zumbiniville is in crisis. If anything of that sounds interesting to you, then um, maybe you can uh, listen to this crew talk on other podcasts. Um, RPG Fan has three fine podcasts, including Retro Encounter, Random Encounter about. Uh, what games we're playing and what uh, RPGs are current, and also Rhythm Encounter about uh, RPG music. Um, but on Ren- on Retro Encounter, the podcast you're listening to right now, next week we're going to have a spoiler cast all about Final Fantasy 16. One of the we're a couple months re- removed from one of the biggest RPG releases of the year. Many people on staff have played it, and many of those people are excited to talk about it. So that's next week. Um, but speaking of dragons. Um, the the uh, Retro Encounter Game Journal for September is Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, that uh, JRPG slash roguelike uh, for the PS2. Um, I've never played it before, and I am very curious to try it out and see how many roguelike elements it shares with Oregon Trail. But And uh, so I'll have my thoughts on that on podcasts later this month. Um, and we haven't planned out all of October yet. We do know what game we're playing in the second half. That game is... Rhapsody, a musical adventure, the Nippon Ichi software game from the for the PlayStation One in the late '90s that had a re-release last year as part of the Pretty Presents Volume Three collection and had its two Japan-only sequels come out very recently on a similar collection. So there's basically more Marl Kingdom slash Rhapsody available to uh, fans for the first uh, worldwide for the first time, and uh, we're going to get into it with the first. Marvel Kingdom slash Rhapsody game mm. in October. I believe Des just reviewed it for the site, the second one. Right. And I think that um, there was a review of the first one last year as part of that collection, but I, I, I don't recall who wrote the review. Um, it might have been Des, might have been Wes, might have been someone that rhymes with Des or Wes. Let's find out. Uh, Rhapsody, a musical adventure. Yeah, it was Des. Okay, all right. So um, I am I, a little familiar with the Marl Kingdom games because I love La Pucelle and Disgaea, but I haven't gone back and played those original ones. I, I tried playing the first one ages ago, but wasn't interested. But I am. But that was, again, 20 years ago. So I'm going to approach Rhapsody with newfound enthusiasm next month. But if you want to reach out to Retro Encounter or Rhythm Encounter or Random Encounter, the best way to do is to email retro at rpgfan.com uh, dot com for retro or podcast at rpgfan.com for random or music at rpgfan.com for rhythm um and and jano you were the regular host of random encounter yeah we uh we've been having some good episodes lately uh i think yeah next week should be uh sea of stars and starfield we're going to be talking about so it's going to be a a star-studded episode excellent and uh, but uh, listeners, um, we I mentioned the podcast already, but RPG Fan is available many places on the internet, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Blue Sky, Threads, Discord, YouTube, Twitch. Always called either RPG Fan or RPG Fan.com on those places. Please interact with us however you choose. There's also uh, RP, RPGFan.com slash shop where you can buy RPG Fan uh, merchandise such as shirts, uh, mugs, 
Oh boy, phone cases, probably more stuff that I'm forgetting. But baby onesies, baby onesies. That's true. Um, but uh, if you're interested in picking up any uh, merchandise emblazoned with the RPG Fan Emerald Shield, you can go to RPGFan.com/shop. Um, but uh, the best way, uh, my favorite way of receiving feedback is reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or however you listen to podcasts. Please leave feedback. Positive is best. But um, if you want to leave us feedback as individuals and not as a podcast, uh, let's share our social media presences with the audience, starting with you, Jono. Sure. You can find me at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can also find me on Mastodon at Logan at mastodon.social. Now, Nikki. You can find me on the blue sky at otomenikki, no underscore, dot bsky, dot social. That's uh, 1K, N-I-K-I. Two uh, Ks. It would be a diary. I'm not a diary. I'm just a humble Zoom beanie player. Now, Jimmy. I am not the most social media active person, but um, I suppose you could find me on Twitter or whatever they're calling that thing nowadays uh, at Turner Based XP. Um, I should probably get on some more social media stuff, but I keep off Twitter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, l- and let's, uh, let's keep calling it Twitter for the sake of my own sanity. Um, yeah. the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. I should probably yeah. look elsewhere for my social media needs. Like I said, I, be- I rarely am ever, um, on there. So. Well, if you're interested, uh, Jimmy, I can send you a blue sky invite because I am also on blue sky. I am at the real monsoon on Twitter. Uh, I haven't completely abandoned that place yet, but I am also Solosi on, uh, bsky.social. Uh, let's see there's not much else to talk about uh, but before we sign off I want to say it's it's good to be finally back listeners thank you good night and good luck good luck